is for young adults where we take questions that have been sent in and we discuss life and faith in the real world and what the Bible and God has to say. And so it's a conversation between some mates and some young adults. And so we hope that you enjoy the conversation. We are also a YouTube channel, so check us out on YouTube. And we're so glad that you're here. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and so good to have you. Again, I got my mates here, and we're so excited to chat today on the 411 about some Old Testament law, particularly things like is it okay to get a tattoo as a Christian? How does the Old Testament law apply to us today in our modern world and modern society? So kick back, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy the conversation because we can't wait to get into it. So guys, uh, again, the conversation is primarily based around our church channel and what Steve put out regarding Old Testament law and tattoos and sacrifices and, interesting enough, eating prawns, eh? Steve, I'm so glad we land in a place where it's okay for us to eat prawns, eh? Amen. We're just waiting for that invite now. That's Charissa <laughs> and prawns, eh? Maybe you can help us catch everyone else up who hasn't seen that video, uh, how we got to where we are this afternoon, and the questions where we what are we what we're going to be asking this afternoon. Yeah, hi everyone. Um, yeah, I think the challenge is we've got this. I've got my Bible in front of me, but we've got our Bibles, and we've got like. 80% of our Bibles is what we'd call the Old Testament. And we often just don't know what to do with that. And especially if you've ever done like a Bible reading plan, you go start reading through the, the stories that you know in the beginning in Genesis. And, and then you get to Exodus and we know the Moses story. We've seen the movie. Uh, and then we just start getting to all these laws in the second half of the book of Exodus, Leviticus. And from our perspective, I mean, we are literally thousands of years later. From our perspective, these laws seem to make absolutely no sense. And so, um, yeah, I think many of us just skip over them until we start getting challenged about, you know, maybe someone, you know, gets a tattoo and maybe you've got a Christian friend who challenges them saying that you can't get a tattoo because the Bible says that you cannot have a tattoo. And that's kind of just a an example of how we don't know how to deal with these laws, uh, whether it's eating pork or prawns or tattoos or some of the really strange laws about wearing two types of cloths, um, you know, and what we do with our grain and what happens if a ox runs through my garden and <laughs> we just don't know what to do with those. And so the, um, the video that you put together was really just to give us a bit of a framework to help us go back and interpret them rightly, understand them rightly, understand uh, how Jesus relates to the Old Testament law uh, and therefore how we relate to the Old Testament law, if at all. Um, and then if there is a connection, just what is that connection? Because uh, I don't think anyone's advocating that we just tear out our Old Testament and throw it away and just keep our New Testament. So that's kind of the broad landscape that uh, a lot of us find ourselves in 
Um, and I'm sure all of you have wondered about tattoos or, or whatever the case might be. Can't, can't wait to get mine. <laughs> I'm going to get Riverside all over it. Uh, <laughs> Steve, just in the video, you chatted about different types and categories of laws. And I think, uh, again, because there are these different types and categories, can we just – we tempted to just throw away all of them or pick some of them. We want to obey some of them and, and disobey others. And we kind of pick and choose which categories or which types of laws we want to obey or disobey. Out of out of the categories, so so you spoke about criminal law, moral yeah. law, civil law, family law. I don't think I've ever thought too much about family law. I wish I wish we had some more family law here uh, today. Um, compassionate law and ceremonial law. Mm. Uh, maybe you can just give us a, a, a quick couple examples of each. I don't know. Maybe that, that will help because I'm like the Ten Commandments. Where do those fit in and, 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 and do we have to obey any of them if we're saying some, some apply today, some don't? Mm. Yeah, it's a tricky one. And as, as you said, Daryl, um, there are these different laws. And, and here's what we often don't understand. And, and I really went to great lengths in this video to try and bring clarity on this. Um, and this is not a very debatable topic amongst theologians, um, just because I think the Bible is clear on this. But we've got to remember that Israel was a nation. And just like South Africa needs laws in order to govern itself, so Israel as the nation needed laws. Um, and now I'm a Christian living in South Africa. I've got laws that are criminal laws, um, uh, uh, civil laws, and I'm not going to the Old Testament for that. I'm going to what is the South African law on that. Um, and the only difference is in the Old Testament, God had a specific covenant that he made with Israel and um the laws were there to protect them as a nation and help them govern themselves as a nation, but also to protect their relationship with God. Just like I've got traffic laws, don't go through a red robot, those kinds of things, have a license, don't speed. Um, and then I've got marriage laws. The marriage laws are going to protect my marriage. And, and so um, in the same way, there were laws that actually protected Israel's relationship with God. And we like separate those things. I've got like, here's my religion. And so I've got things that I do because I'm a Christian. And then we've got like our national laws and we say they're different in Israel because of this unique relationship that they had, their governmental laws and their religious laws were seen kind of under the same banner. Um, and obviously things are very, very different. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it a bit later, but those laws were particular, particular for Israel, in particular for their time of existence in the old, we call it Old Testament. The word Old Covenant is exactly the same translation that we get the word Testament. So it's the Old Covenant as Christians. We are under the New Covenant. So it's safe to say that those laws from the Old Testament do not apply to us. Um, when Israel, even in the Old Testament, went and when God acted outside of 
the boundaries of Israel, whether it be in Babylon, whether it be in Nineveh, um, they never quickly followed up with the laws. Or now that you're following this God, you must obey all these laws because that's weird. You're a Babylonian, you're an Assyrian. You don't need to follow these laws. Um, so even the moral laws, uh, like the Ten Commandments, for an example, the reason why we obey them are not because they're necessarily in the Old Testament, but because they're reaffirmed by Jesus under the new covenants. All right. And um, the analogy that I used uh, is that here in South Africa, you know, there's laws about do not kill people. Um, there's laws in the UK about do not kill people. And the reason why I don't kill people if I wanted to um, is not because of the UK law. It's because of the South African law. Um, and in the same way, when I get to these commands in the New Testament, it's not simply um, because it's in the Old Testament or we, we've called it, you know, the Ten Commandments, but it's because it's reaffirmed by Jesus and it's carried through, therefore. Um, and so we can pretty much safely say that the Old Testament laws do not apply to us unless they are very intentionally carried through by Jesus for us. And there's lots of reasons for that, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but it's not a case of just cherry-picking which laws we want and which laws we don't want, mm. because literally they were for the nation of Israel under the old covenant. Uh, we yeah, are now... Just, just, yeah, sorry to interrupt. That's like mind-blowing, because often, often uh, unbelievers just think we've got these blanket laws that apply to us that many do's and don'ts, and, and so they automatically turned off Christianity and religion because there's a misunderstanding of, of, of what rules to follow and what not to follow. And again, I hope, hopefully we get there, and it's, it's not about the do's and don'ts, but a, but a covenantal relationship. Um, but again, just uh, yeah, mind-blowing to think how many, I mean, you don't even want to step a foot into the church because they think it's just these rules that they have to follow. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important to point out that the biggest difference between the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is Jesus. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he comes and he says, I'm not doing away with the law. Mm. And then he doesn't, but then he doesn't say, oh, I'm not doing away with the law. I want you guys to keep the law. He says, no, I am going to fulfill the law. So all the moral law, he fulfilled perfectly. All the ceremonial law, all about him. I mean, the I, I'd like to geek out on these sort of theological topics, but Jesus is the high priest and he's the temple and he's the sacrifice and he is Jerusalem and he is Israel. Uh, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. That regardless of the ceremonial law, that all points towards Jesus. Um, obviously, the civil law stuff falls away because the church is a multinational group of of Christians that find themselves in all sorts of countries. Um, and so Jesus is the one who fulfilled every single detail of the Old Testament law, uh, which is why it is not incumbent upon us to fulfill those laws. Can I jump in here, guys? Yeah. Um, Steve, I, I know it's some, a question that we, we often throw around, but the question is, was, was the new covenant plan B? Like, was, was the law plan A? And then God was going, oh, they're not yielding to the law as we hoped. Let's cast that aside and let's send the, the plan B. Um, and, and obviously, we know, the, we know the answer to that. But maybe my question is, 
why start with the law if you know that the the you know the the new wine cloth the the Jesus is coming? Why start with the law in the first place? Hmm. Um, look to answer your first question, Jesus coming is not Plan B. Um, and, and, you know, the first verse that comes to mind is Ephesians telling us that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. Um, I think, I'm just trying to think very, what's the shortest answer here, but with regards to why did God do it this way? I mean, we can say because he chose to. <laughs> uh, and, and in his wisdom, he had some reason, some of which he's maybe disclosed to us and others we can maybe try and figure out. Um, but I think one of the major reasons is to simply show us that despite our absolute best efforts, um, after, you know, sometimes me as a human being, I, I, I try something once and I fail and I give up, you know, um, and I see my kids, they try something and they fail and, and they give up sometimes too quickly. So we're not talking about God gave humans the short, little, narrow period of time to get things right, and, and they messed up. So sorry for you. You're done. But he gave them literally centuries of opportunity for formation, opportunity for uh, having the right kind of rulership in place, um, uh, ascending prophets, calling them to repentance, literally over centuries. And so that becomes just a, an extended metaphor of our inability to do that. So when Jesus does come and fulfill it, there's a far greater gratitude. And um, like this anticipation builds of no one can do this, guys. Oh, you know, Moses, maybe he can. No, he can't. Oh, David, maybe he can. No, no. No, Solomon, he's wise. Maybe he'll be the guy. No. <laughs> and just like, wow, it doesn't matter who we try. It doesn't matter what king we look at. It doesn't matter what. It's just failure after failure after failure. So that when Jesus does fulfill it, it's like, yes. And I think it's just ever so more meaningful than if God had to bypass, bypass that entire process. Sure. So it's, a, it's a, a intended to expose more of our like dependence and reliance on him and showing us that we can't we can't do a list of do's and don'ts and then hope to get into the kingdom because i think that's maybe what the israelites were, were were thinking the law was you know if i yield to this then i'll get there and i don't know if that was god's heart so yeah i think yeah. it was more to expose them i don't know if that's what you were saying but yeah makes sense it, it's one of the threads it's definitely not the only thread um, but i think i'm just going to keep it at that for now um, but yeah, I'll definitely say that's highlighting our inability to live by some external standard. It just mm. proves time and time again that we cannot. So, Steve, if I can piggy bank off just quickly, sorry, this is um, just in terms of like how God viewed like the garden originally. Like when I see it, it was it was a relationship based and it was walking out of like they know the Father. And mm. um, my understanding of and sin came and it seems that we were given like laws and instructions because of sin. It came in mm. as a as a way of like, I wouldn't say taking us back there, but trying to maintain our relationship with God and maintain our humanity with, with, with other humans. Um, so do you think there's going to come a place in our humanity that 
we won't need instruction, we won't need law, we'll just be back in relation. Do you think that's you think that's the, the sum and be all and end all of Jesus coming and then eventually coming again? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think we're living in the time when we have a kind of um, a foretaste of that because mm -hmm. even in the Old Testament, it's kind of described that the time will come when the law will be written on our hearts. Oh, so. And um, we know that the giving of the Spirit is the fulfillment of that. But um, am I there fully? Well, I've received the Spirit, but mm -hmm. is, do I just like automatically uh, live by what God wants for my life? And the answer is no. Um, but the work of God is increasingly, um, I like the idea, I think it was N.T. Wright who said, if you think of the law like um, like a bowling alley, and like, you know, mm -hmm. when you're young kids, you put up those aisles on the side so mm -hmm. that even if they throw it wrong, eventually the ball still knocks down a few cones or whatever. <laughs> um, but the ideal is eventually you don't need those. You can actually bowl straight. Um, and so increasingly the Lord is at work in our hearts so that I, I don't need those side rails as often. And then I think in the new creation, the time will come. Um, I mean, the book of Galatians says the only thing that counts in this whole discussion about law, yeah. the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so um, I think the new creation will be literally, that'll be the law by which we live but it'll be all 100% coming out of our hearts as opposed to this like, oh, today I'm going to express my faith in love. It's just, just going to be who we are. Um, but we experience that in some formative way now, but not in fullness yet. Makes sense. Sis, go for it, my dude. Cool. No, I just wanted to, you spoke about how often when we see the word law, we infer a lot into that word and the bible seems to have a slightly different intent for that word and that use um what is that difference that maybe we infer to it and what the bible and what god intended for us to understand law as yeah um so the law when the bible talks about the law most of the time it's referring to the first five books of the of the bible uh, if you spoke to a Jew, they wouldn't call it, well, they might call it the law, but they'd call it the Torah, um, which is, is translated as the law in the New Testament. Um, but there is a bit of an interpretive leap here where we go, okay, Torah is law, and then we interpret this like legislative understanding of law that we apply today, and we go, oh, that's what those laws are. When... In fact, the entire Torah is called law. Now, there are tons of laws in the first five books of the Bible, but the law doesn't only refer to the laws. Um, in, let me just go back one step. Um, just many theologians have suggested that a, a better translation of the word Torah is not law because of what we interpolate into that, but rather um, instruction. Um, sure. And so... Even the stories by the New Testament writers are called law, <laughs> not because they're laws, but because they're instruction to us. Um, yeah. And so if we see that the stories of the Old Testament, us observing the nation of Israel, um, 
us also and trying to understand and come to grips with the way these laws did function in the society, they, that whole process can be instructive to us, but we don't just pick it up and treat it like a stop sign, do, you know, stop, no questions asked. Um, because you can't do that with the story of Abraham and Isaac. <laughs> um, you're being invited into a story to try and understand what is God's voice in the story, um, which is called law. It's called Torah. It's instruction. Sure. And if I can do a follow-up question, I don't know if that's mm. allowed. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but a question I've always had is like, okay, we see that God chose Israelites, but why did he choose the Israelites? Were they morally closer, like, to, to what God intended? So they were like the next best thing, and is that why God chose them? Um like, was there something something special that they did in and of themselves that made them better than other nations, that God chose them specifically? Um, so I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 7, verses 7, that answers your question, and then I probably don't have to say a thing after that. Um, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers. And he goes on. In other words, God is saying there's nothing special about Israel. If anything, they were a smaller nation. They were a weaker nation. Um, the reason he chose them was not arbitrary because uh, he says, I chose you because I loved you. And you're like, so which came first, the choosing or the love? And those are some rabbit holes that we're just going to sidestep for the moment. But um yeah. At the end of the day, the answer is there was nothing unique about Israel. Um, if anything, they were a vehicle that would probably greatest display God's glory as opposed to some form of human might or glory. Sure. Sure, man. Um, I got goosebumps when you're saying that, Steve. Just sitting back a little bit in this conversation and just picking up again just the picture of Jesus through everything you've had to say, um, th through the small things and the fulfillment of us trying to fulfill the law but not being able to do that, uh, just some of the stuff Jason had to say. And says we have this question again, why, why was it that they were chosen? And I'm sitting here thinking, man, why, why, why did God choose me? And yeah. why, why, why do I get to go to heaven? And so just yeah. fascinating. Again, just taking a... Um, a bird's eye view of the discussion and just more and more the picture of Jesus coming through uh, and the fulfillment of, of the prophetic. I think Steve, you spoke quite a bit about that as well. And just how you mentioned, uh, even, even if, if he knew and deliberately went out to fulfill some of the prophetic stuff spoken about him, um, how long it would have taken as opposed to just how it all unfolded, even even without him knowing, like like his birth, um, the town he was born in, and just mind blowing stuff. How Jesus was the fulfillment of the whole law and uh, the prophetic law. Mm. I see yeah. there is Dean's sent something in here. Should we just uh, let's see what he says over here? We often talk about how Jesus, how the law is separated into moral, traditional, ceremonial, uh, 
But did the Jews themselves separate the law like this? Thanks for the question, Dean. Um, look, I, I'm not an Old Testament scholar, but just my exposure to this is um, I don't know. I don't think there is a categorical breakdown that we can find on a tablet somewhere or a piece of vellum somewhere that they thought about these in these kinds of categories. Um, I, I think where they come and, and even before I say that, um, these are very loose categories. Uh, um, we have tried to, I mean, this debate is thousands of years old. What do we do as Christians with all these laws? And um, I think there's been a right-hearted approach to try and understand how did different laws function and therefore why did like the food laws fall away where, for example, the Ten Commandments were seen to be carried through and, and what's the difference and and so I think it's almost a retrospective effort to find clarity. Um, I was trying to think of an example um, off the cuff here, but my brain's failing me. But um, these aren't tightly knit categories. And, oh, Leviticus 21 is all ceremonial and Leviticus 22 is all moral uh, because some are both um, and, and some are difficult to categorize. Um, and... Yeah, I, 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 so I think it's our effort to try and understand, but it is most certainly not this perfect science. Um, I think also what some people have tried to do is, is again go, okay, cool, the moral laws, they were carried through. But um, what I've become convinced of is that all those laws have fallen away. There are moral principles that get carried through, and then Jesus speaks into those principles. And again, we do those things because they're taught by Jesus as opposed to because they're in the Old Testament. Um, and so these laws, and that was one of the interpretive things I spoke about in that message, is that um, the laws have changed and our context have changed, but the lawgiver hasn't changed. And so we can consistently see from Genesis 1 and 3 all the way through these Old Testament laws into Jesus, and we can follow that trajectory. And where we see that kind of thing, crystal clear in the New Testament, that becomes not a law to me, but it becomes like something that reveals God's heart for me and for how he wants me to relate to him in this world. Um, as opposed yeah. to these categories and it's you know, category A, B, C, and D, and now we just do category C. I, I don't, some have tried to do that, but I don't think that works. Hmm. Steve, I was just, um, yeah, I was, thanks for the question, Edine. I mean, it's just now triggered some more in my brain. When you come to the book of Leviticus in the Bible, Steve, you want to approach it with as much zeal as when you read, you know, a New Testament epistle, you know, that's uh, super encouraging. How do you advise us to, to read a book like that? Because for me, my very basic understanding of the, the reasons for those laws, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was to set Israel apart from the pagan nations. So, all the Canaanites and, and all of those guys are marking their bodies. Guys steer very far away from there. That's why the law was there. I mean, that's what I understand. But, but how do I read that and, and, and find, I don't, do you understand what I'm saying? How do I read Leviticus 18, 17 and, and, and find life and then apply it into my, my life? And um, it's just, it's, it's, it's tough. And I don't know if anyone can relate to who's tuned in here. Like I, yeah. I really struggle when I get there. 
Yeah. Maybe, Maybe before before you before you answer, Steve, can I just throw in if you, if you can also, I mean, you spoke about this clean versus unclean in the presence of God, as well as was as the concept of of the God of life, as opposed to being God against anti-life and anything um, that could mean. And so maybe in your answer, I think those are two helpful things for me to understand, again, what the lawgiver himself is like and what he's trying to do for us. Um, and then our application of that, how, how can we be for life and not for anti-life, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Look, um, let me try to cover some of that ground. Um, Trist, I wouldn't advise any brand new Christian to start here. Um, just because, I mean, as you've seen, we're trying to get to grips with some of the things I can count on and some of the interpretive guidance that I can have that it's going to steer me away from some of the real potential potholes for interpretation. So either becoming this legalist where I somehow feel in my heart that I need to fulfill all the Old Testament laws on one hand, well, on the other hand, I just get so confused that I dial out. And so, man, um, <laughs> I, I would just steer new Christians towards a clearer understanding of who Jesus is. And yes, even get into the details of what he says in Matthew 5 concerning his fulfillment of the law. And I'd want to prioritize that and then go back to Leviticus. But just to be honest, um, I don't know if Leviticus is possible without a guide. What I mean by that is someone who has walked this road well and can help me out. Um, I think I've used the metaphor before, but like, you know, if I go to the Kruger Park, I can look for things with my own eyes. Or if there's a game ranger with me, they're just going to show me things I would never see on my own. They're there, but I just, I'm not trained to see them. And um, so there are details in Leviticus that for theologians and, and scholars that have studied these issues and can answer these questions, um, I want to go through the book of Leviticus with a guide with me um, to help me know these things. Uh, even what you said earlier, that these laws were for the nation of Israel. Um, and part of the rationale behind these laws, I think there were many rationales. One of them, for example, pork and prawns, we know that. Uh, without refrigeration, they're the first foods to go off. And so God's saying, like, so, <laughs> yeah, three and a half thousand years ago, stay away from pork and prawns. It's just, it's it's good for you, you know, as an example. Um, now we've got refrigeration. And so, yes, by all means, let's go eat those Portuguese prawns. Um, tattoos. The Canaanite religion and the surrounding religions uh, involve tattoos with their worship of foreign gods and some really detestable practices. Um, and so in order to be separate and to be unto God, don't do those kinds of things. And so um, we can start trying to understand some of the rationale behind that. But even that's an interpretive step that doesn't jump out of the pages to you. Um, you've got to know what to look for and kind of read these things many times over. So I would just really suggest that if you want to get to grips with the book of Leviticus. You need to spend some time with um, a book that's kind of aimed at where you're at because the sky's the limits. I mean, you get scholars that are just insane in what they're trying to help us understand. 
Um, yeah, here's, I'm going to sound like a broken record on this, but for those of you who are out there, even if you're in high school, um, I think a group of guys that do this really, really, really well are the Bible Project. Um, and so they've got videos that are 67 minutes on each of the books of the Bible. And even if you read those videos, go and, and listen to the links that connect to some of their podcasts. That's just a great starting point that's going to get your head in the right space. Um, so Trist, yeah, I, yeah it, it's kind of like, so, so when do I give my toddler astrophysics? I'm kind of like, no, don't give your, <laughs> if you're going to talk about astrophysics, you need some tools to help you bring um, your child up to speed. Um, and and Daryl raised this idea, for example, of clean and unclean. And here's just a classic point where, man, this stuff makes no sense to me because some of these clean, unclean laws, in my opinion, seem like they're comparable to being moral and immoral. Where some are like, what's up with that? It almost seems random or arbitrary um, with regards to what's clean and unclean. And, and again, what as theologians have tried to distill that and try and understand what's going on, um, the, 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 what makes most sense to me is where they've identified that God is a God of life and anything that is anti-life makes you unclean, not immoral or evil or sinful, but ceremonially unclean. So for example, when a, a woman is having her monthly cycle, there's nothing immoral about um, having that, but because there's an issue of blood, blood is our life and it's leaving the body. And so that makes you unclean. And, and by the way, um, a lot of these laws were there to protect. So a lot of the, the, the laws there were superior to the surrounding nations when it came to like exposure of wounds and exposure of skin infestations and those kinds of things. Um, yeah, so I, I've covered a lot of ground there, but um, hopefully between Trist and you, Daryl, we've been able to um, pour some insights into those spaces. Uh, I, I want to ask a question, but I just I don't know exactly how to articulate it like neatly. Um, but it's kind of the, the idea is the Steve is like, why wouldn't God just have given the fullness or everything He wanted uh, from us or? Uh, from the law in like just one shot uh, and the reason why i'm thinking like this is like i remember kind of like first year being a christian and kind of starting to go through the bible and we had a a, a life group with with a cell leader and he was he was like he kind of drew up like we think leviticus is hard and then we read such a nice chapter like matthew 5 6 7 where it's about mm -hmm. the sermon on the mount and you get this idea of like jesus takes the law but not only does he take it but he makes it more difficult for us to apply mm. um and like just off the bat it's like if you have anger and you don't deal with it it's as if you killed someone and if you mm. if you if you're lusting after a female it's as if you committed adultery and then there's an interesting thing that jesus says in matthew 19 he says um that it was not always so that you could just um divorce your wife it wasn't permitted but because your hearts were hard that's why that law was given and mm. Yeah, so like, why why the baby step? Like, I know you spoke about astrophysics with your son, but like, <laughs> why do we need the baby step when it comes to morals and understanding him? 
I suspect that if God did it any, so we don't have a clear answer to that. I mean, again, we can surmise and, and guess and maybe have some educated guesses on this one, but um, I suspect that if God did it differently, we would be losing out somewhere along the line of our learning as humanity. Um, because when I do look, if I look at, I mean, JC spoke about the law came in with Moses, uh, but it was not that way from the beginning. So that context was around marriage and divorce. Now we've got marriage given to us, this picture of marriage given to us in Genesis chapter 3, in chapter 2, sorry, um, the law came <laughs> centuries later, if not way longer. Um, and so that is why Jesus can say at the beginning, this is how things were it's meant to be husband and a wife uh, coming before God and united for the right reasons and united perfectly. Uh, but because of our hardness of our heart, uh, that just gets unfolded throughout history and our own lives. Um, we realize, okay, we need these guardrails. We need some guidance so that to actually kind of like limit the damage. <laughs> so like there's going to be damage, but let's just limit the damage. Um, but it, it, it does become an incredible experience and a learning experience when we actually do track, and I alluded to it earlier, here's these threads and here's these themes that we see in Genesis chapter one, God's pure intention for humanity. And then we start following the story and we start noticing where humans depart from God's intentions. And we start picking up how those themes develop and evolve throughout the law, Partial fulfillment, you know, you get someone like Moses who's like, oh, Moses seems to be different. Uh, okay, wait, but he also, he also fails. And, and, and uh, David, uh, again, alluded to that. But you start following these threads through and then eventually getting to Jesus and then the New Testament and then eventually where history is going and heading. And that tapestry is just incredibly instructive to me. And I, I see myself in that tapestry as well, where it's like, I'm no different to Moses, or I'm no different to those Israelites, or I'm no different. And, and, and once again, that makes me so grateful for Jesus. Mm. Um, so could God have done it differently? Theoretically, maybe. Uh, but I suspect we'd lose something that is of great instructional value to us at present. Um, and so I, I've just got to trust God chose to do that for those reasons and for a million more that I could never work out for myself. <laughs> sure, Steve, you're doing really well here. Uh, heavy uh, things to think through and nice, concise answers for us to be able to get through this afternoon. And uh, we are running out of time swiftly. And I Dean had some more questions that I've just put up there. Um, and I know the guys have got other questions, but I think if we can just uh, kind of start landing on uh, more helpful tips for us today in terms of interpretation. So, Steve, have you got some tips for us uh, when you said, uh, let me just find it quickly, uh, interpretive steps. Have you got some helpful interpretive steps for us looking at the old and the new and what applies for us today and how we filter that through for our current context and current laws? Yeah. Look, the, the, the biggest interpretive step is, is Jesus himself. 
Um, Jesus doesn't do away with the law, but neither does he put it on our shoulders. He fulfills the law. And so, and he interprets the law for us. Um, the, he is the ultimate interpreter. <laughs> um, and so Matthew chapter 5 to 7 is really the starting point and almost the be all and end all with regards to this question, me and the law. And I, I just cannot go through the law without going through Jesus. I, I have to do that. Um, including where the law points out my sin. I'm going to go through Jesus because I'm going to realize that Jesus fulfilled it perfectly on my behalf and he paid the penalty for my failures. And once again, I'm grateful for Jesus. Um, so, yeah, let Jesus be your interpretive lens when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say, um, let that be what shapes your heart. When Jesus shows you how he's fulfilled the law, let that be just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you did it on my behalf. When Jesus pays a penalty for my sin, according to the law, once again, thank you, Jesus. Um, so th that for me is like number one by a, a long shot. But let's go to a distant second. And that is we can, I think, I said earlier, um, we've got a consistent lawgiver. And there are certain principles that I think I can start to look for. Even though I'm not under the law, um, on one hand, Jesus does carry some of those moral laws through uh, because, you know, do not murder is going to be consistently upheld. Um, even Gentile nations were judged for their violence. Jesus, as Jace pointed out earlier, just takes it just from being just an external thing to even an internal heart reality, which is that new heart that I need Jesus to give me. But at least I can see those principles. Even some of those random food laws and random clothing laws. And if I had to think to myself, what does it mean to be set apart for Jesus in today's world? Uh, what, how does that affect what I wear? Does it affect what I wear? I think it does. Um, so let me think about what I wear so I can glorify God with what I wear. Uh, and I don't think that just means we need to wear Christian clothes or Christian t-shirts. Um, food, that does. is there some wisdom? Like what does it mean to eat for the glory of God? Um, and so we can find those principles um, and maybe there are, again, some guides, some people, some, some books or commentaries that are going to maybe help you see some of those things. Um, and so I would say that those are the two major um, interpretive techniques that we can use to um, read the law and um, yeah, help us find the wisdom that still applies to us today. And can you think of that analogy that you used for us that is very helpful when looking at Old Testament, New Testament law and yeah. how it, what we should be looking at? Yeah. Um, I, I forget. So I didn't come up with this by myself. I, I heard someone say this. I'll just forget who it was, but... Uh, just this idea, I mean, so I've got two boys and uh, when we were pregnant with them, uh, you go and get a scan and these days you can actually watch, they call it a 4D scan because you can see the baby move in the womb and it's it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's kind of just getting you excited about this baby that's coming. Um, and, and so the day would come when the baby does arrive and so the thing that it's been pointing forward towards is here. 
And it'd be really strange if I just kept on looking back at the scans. And here's my baby, here's the sun, but now I'm just going and looking at the scans. The point of the scan, it's not like the scans are irrelevant. The scans were pointing forward. They've played a role. Um, I can honor that role and I can recognize that role, but the baby's here. And the Old Testament and the law and the prophets really all point towards Jesus. Jesus makes those exact claims in Matthew 5, Luke chapter 24. And so once again, going back to my first interpreter point, it's Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus. Um, mm. Not that mm. the Lord's a write-off, irrelevant, a waste of time, tear it up our Bible. It played a very important role. And the more I understand that, the more I love Jesus, the more I see his heart, the more I, the salvation history becomes tangible to me. But it's not about that. It's about Jesus. Uh, again, we're very pressed for time. But Steve, you also ended with five helpful things that I just want to let the guys know what they were. When, you, when asked the question, so what do we do with the law today? Number one, you said, see how they all points to Jesus. See how it points to Jesus. Number two, you said, uh, let the law point out our sin and what we need to look at in ourselves. And again, not, not for law's sake, because law doesn't save us but for sanctification and wanting to please Jesus and uh, be in a, a relationship with him. Number three, you said, look for the consistent principles. Maybe if you can just help me, what did you mean by that? Uh, so here's an example. Um, there's these strange laws about the gleaning in the fields. You know, so if a piece of wheat falls to the ground, leave it on the ground so that when the poor come through, they can pick up the weeds. Now, I don't, sometimes I have some basil plants in my back garden and some tomatoes. Um, I don't think that law means, Stephen, if tomatoes fall into the ground, leave it. You know, what's the principle? The principle is God cares for the least of these. And I'm going to intentionally, I mean, if I picked up every apple that fell on the ground, I would be wealthier. So I'm going to actually intentionally um, what's the right word? Handicap my profit margins in order that others might benefit. Mm. Um, and I'm going to apply some wisdom to that. And I don't think that changes in the New Testament. So that's just an example of what I mean by that. So applying the law means basil leaf fell on the ground, done. I'm not allowed to pick it up. But no one's walking through my garden. And if they were, I'm calling the cops. Um, <laughs> We're in South Africa, guys, for anyone overseas. <laughs> but um, what's the principle? God loves the poor, and he wants me to love the poor. Um, yeah, and I think if we apply that wisdom, we'll find a lot of God's heart in the Old Testament laws as well. It's interesting how uh, this topic also points to our current series, which is on wisdom and Proverbs. And the application of wisdom. Uh, you, you had two more um, other points, but maybe, guys, if you are watching, we've seen we've had a few guys watching us today. Don't you want to just put your name in the comments so we can say hi? And for those of you who are interested, this is our church channel uh, with tons and tons of hard work that's gone into the Glad You Are series. So, Steve, thank you for all your hard work. 
that's gone into that, brother, and we hope we can keep it going. So if you are interested in catching some of the, the stuff we've discussed over the last few weeks, uh, the full videos are there on the channel. Uh, the, the last two things that you said, Steve, was let the law serve as an example and look for the themes that carry through from old to new. So maybe just in closing, uh, what did you mean by those two things, if you can give it to us quickly? Um, okay. So theme, um, which would be different to the principles of the laws, because remember, the law is the Torah. It's the five books of the Bible, which include the stories. And so, for example, the theme of sacrifice. Um, Adam and Eve sinned. God comes in. Where are you? Adam and Eve are hiding. They try and cover their own selves with fig leaves, and it's insufficient to cover their sin. And so God kills an animal and then gives them skins to cover their sin. All right, that's the first time in the Bible that we see an animal sacrificed. Go forward to Abraham and Isaac. God calls Abraham to, I know, crazy story, but anyway, uh, give his son to the Lord as a sacrifice. Um, Abraham is willing to obey. And at the last points, God provides a sacrifice uh, as a substitute uh, for, um, for Isaac. So now we're building this theme of when the Bible talks about sacrifice, what's going on here? Well, sacrifice covers my sin. Um, a sacrifice is a substitute for me. Then we get to the whole Levitical law about the sacrifice. And if I've got this sin, then it's this sacrifice, that sin, this sacrifice. And so something loses its life for my sin. Um, then we bring that all the way into Jesus, who's, who becomes the lamb. He becomes the sacrifice. As I said earlier, he's also the temple, but let's just stick with the sacrifice theme. And so no more do, does something else need to lose his life for my sake because Jesus did it once and for all, the pure lamb. So we import this entire developed theme into the person of Jesus and his sacrifice. Um, and then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, now you become people who live lives of worship to God. You are now those living sacrifices. Um, and, you know, this, I don't think we're supposed to separate these ideas out. We're supposed yeah. to let this theme develop and grow. And then we, when we get to Jesus, we, it's supposed to blow our minds. When we get yeah. to Romans 12, uh, you're living sacrifices. It's supposed to, because we've watched this whole thing develop and we go, wow. Um, so that's, again, just an example of what I mean by Jesus being the fulfillment of a theme. Man, there's some some gems there that just like you say, this thread is unbelievable in in micro stories, but the macro story too. Yeah. And just this Jesus fulfilling all of it. So maybe uh Trist. Can I can I I was gonna ask Tristan to end. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna ask if he's gonna get a tattoo after this. <laughs> But yeah, go ahead, yeah. Steve, ask him. <laughs> no, I think we're on the same page here. But uh, Tristan, I think uh, give us your your thoughts around tattoos and, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as you try to apply some wisdom after hearing this whole series. Um, what are you thinking around that? Sure. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> <laughs> I think, uh, Steve, Des, guys, I think it's uh, an opportunity 
I love what you said about how there's, there's some wisdom in how we can almost conduct our lives. Because I had this kind of discussion with um, my staff members at my school today, and it was, you know, yes, you know, we, we, we kind of agree that tattoos in and of themselves are not black and white in that it's clearly sin, it's clearly not sin. However, um, if that's a, a law that was in, sort of inscribed for, for a particular reason, Maybe I have to lean in and read it, you know, read it uh, with a little bit of caution. For example, uh, if, if my heart behind getting a tattoo is of a rebellious nature, it's because I want to impress someone. Uh, and even the tattoo itself has got some dodgy sort of, you know, weird, I don't know, weird mystical things to it. Then that in that particular case, you know, might not be advised. Um, and so I, I think for me, it's, it's viewing, viewing the, the laws through the lens of how can I now apply to my life with wisdom? Mm. And so, yes, uh, the, this whole thing of even maybe an alcohol sort of debate might come up. Uh, is it black and white absolutely sinful? No. But then in, in, in some instances, Paul advises, you know, if it causes others to stumble, then maybe I would advise in not doing it. So I, I think, Steve, to answer your question, it's, it's not, you know, coming up with this dogma and saying, sin, not sin, sin, not sin, therefore I know my Bible. It's going, what is God trying to teach us through these sets of 613, I believe it is? Mm -hmm. and, and how can I filter that into my life? And, and I believe if we, we have that, uh, that uh, game ranger alongside us, uh, so to speak, uh, really trying to dig into the whys behind this, I think we might feel that uh, at the end of it all, we, our faith will be better off because of it. Mm. And so I think we, we ought to look at this sort of, yeah, with, with optimism. I think we need to be, uh, yeah, excited that it can, yeah, it can catalyze and can accelerate our faith and move it forward. Uh, so, yeah, the, the law is, uh, has a purpose. And uh, let's dive deep in. And let's, uh, let's be wise stewards uh, of what God has entrusted us. Um, yeah, that's, that's, how I would, that's how I would interpret it. And that's what I would take from this series or from this uh, podcast. Mm. Uh, from this, yeah, it's, uh, that's what I, I don't know if Cesar has anything else to say. I'm just going to pass it to you there, Cesar. But that's, that's what I learned from this. Well, Cesar got a butterfly on his ankle. So, you know. Yeah, Cesar, not a wise move, but nice, a little bit of grace. <laughs> Isn't there a Bible verse that says float like a butterfly, sting like a bee? That's in Proverbs. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Muhammad. <laughs> Muhammad Ali. <laughs> so, Trist, you really articulated that answer very well. Mm. Good job there, sir. Um, and Thank as you were talking, yeah, the, the alcohol discussion came to mind, smoking in hub. You know, these are all things that we could possibly get into. And it's been actually so lucky to have people um, tuning in and send stuff in. So thank you to you guys. Some have said that to sit behind YouTube and watch us talk for an hour is quite long. So we do also have this on podcast, believe it or not, if you prefer to listen and drive or drive and listen. Um, it is available. But, yeah, we do want to try and keep uh, Tuesday afternoon 
uh, show to be able to do this. So tune in again next week. Guys, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure and mind-blowing stuff. So thank you for your time. And we will catch up again next week. So cheers, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Ciao. Cheers, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Again, hope you've enjoyed the conversation. If you have any questions, feel free to send them to us. We'd love to chat them, chat about them. Do have a look at our YouTube channel. And if we've brought any value, won't you like and share this with your friends? And we can't wait to see you in our next episode. See you then.